Hello, Tim Bellpot listener. I just wanted to throw out a bit of a disclaimer that these early episodes, we were still figuring it out, and we got better in pretty much every way. Definitely audio, storytelling, joke telling, research. So, um, you know, maybe start with episode 20. But if you still want to see what the growing process was like for us, continue listening to these early ones because I could see how that's fun. But um, just know it gets better. Hi guys, I just wanted to let you know that since the last disclaimer, we've gotten so much better at making disclaimers. Like for example, um, this one has lasers. This one has some dinosaurs. Talk like a robot in this one. And if you want to listen to an episode like without any disclaimers, I would say um, maybe like 27. I think Bruiser Brody, I think that was like the first episode where we figured out kind of, oh, this is what we do. So, yeah, no disclaimers on that one. Um, I mean, you can listen to this old ass episode. I wouldn't, you know, and I fucking wrote it and edited it and researched it and. All right. Well, uh, enjoy this episode. I think me and Gene Okerlund was the worst therapist ever. Go on. <laughs> because, all right, so every week, right, these wrestlers would schedule time with me and Gene Okerlund to go share their thoughts <laughs> and feelings about other wrestlers or the company, mm-hmm. like a therapist. And every week, the hill would come out and be like, oh, I think this about the face, and he did this to me, and I think we should fight Sunday. And then the face would come out and say, the hill did this to me, and I think this about the hill, and we should fight Sunday. And Mean Gene, the only voice of reason between the two, (laughs) the only means of communication would just be like, fuck it, tune in this Sunday, it's gonna be a bloodbath. Like, in his 30 years... Of being a backstage interviewer, did he ever? He never tried to de-escalate the situation. <laughs> like, imagine if after even one, what you're gonna do, brother? Uh, mean Gene would have been like, first of all, why are you yelling? Uh, all I did was ask you a question, and second of all, really, Hulk, you're gonna go fight Andre? Really? You're gonna get in separate cars and drive to a building <laughs> and fight? You've been friends for ten goddamn years. You are a child. <laughs> Well, I mean, as a therapist, his job is really to listen and let people work through their problems. <laughs> they just nobody ever got to resolution. So what you're saying, he's probably bad at HR? Like, is that what we're really getting to? Like, I think if we want to get into the therapist thing, if they'd known that their client is going to is said violence will occur, they are threatening violence, they are supposed to contact yeah. the authorities. If a crime is going to happen. Yeah, yes. if a crime is going to happen. So I think Mean Gene should have constantly been calling <laughs> the, the authorities. <laughs> it's like, I know the date, I know the time, I even know exactly the location. That's, that's what Mean Gene's 1-900 hotline should have been. Just a <laughs> string of 911 calls. Yeah, like I can just see Mean Gene just walking to Vince. So I think these guys are really going to fight each other. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think they're going to fight each other this Sunday at Pontiac Silverdome. <laughs> I think that's what's going to happen. You're selling tickets, you savage. <laughs> All right, welcome to Ten Bell Pod, where we discuss the life and death of professional wrestlers. Uh, I'm Nick Alexander, and for 12 episodes now, I've been joined by a guy who still thinks UFC isn't scripted, Michael Lovey. It is totally not, except when it is, and I just want to shit again because it's been bad. Herb Dean on the CB Dalloway fight. Horrible ref. CB almost died. Is there a good ref in the fucking UFC? You need Nick Patrick. <laughs> That's true. All right. We're live in the Manning Cave with the person who makes this all legit. To be the man, you gotta be the man scout, Jake Manning. Oh. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> As I stroll in with my Ric Flair robe that I just recently purchased. He's <laughs> strutting in a chair, if you want to think about that. And my mullet wig, which looks like Ric Flair mullet from <laughs> early 90s. Yeah, Ooh, that's I'm, good mullet. I'm really happy about that mullet so. <laughs> so this is part three we did three we're oh doing God, three episodes true. on andre he's big he have to do three parts yeah it makes sense uh, but today we're going chalk we're discussing all <laughs> the highlights all the stuff people know the wrestlemanias the iconic feuds let's choke bob euchre <laughs> <laughs> You know, some people would have said, let's get body slammed by Hulk Hogan, or let's team with Haku, John Studd match, there are the Piper's Pit episodes. No, you're just like, no, choking Bob Euchre. I feel like let's choke Bob Euchre should have been the tagline for Major League Four. (laughs) I think that would have been good. I I think that that's something that should be said to me in bed with a girl with daddy issues to to communicate to me that she likes being choked. She's like... Choke Bob Euchre. If a girl said, oh, <laughs> choke me like Bob Euchre, I would... <laughs> I'm wifing that bitch. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but the... <laughs> There's that moment where you're confused, but then after, you open her closet, and you see a bunch of Cleveland Indians jerseys, and you're like, oh. <laughs> Your dad is Bob Euchre. <laughs> <laughs> He's been watching on the camera the whole time. And then you choke her, and she does the whole animated <laughs> Oh, my God. That would be the best day of my life. This went off the fucking rails. <laughs> That's how I find my soulmate. Right there, right there. Oh. All right, so in episode one and two, we covered Andre's early days, the bulk of his territory work. So if you missed that, go check it out, because today we're going to hop straight into Andre and the WWF. Now, if you have the network, the Andre collection is a perfect thing to pair up with this podcast. Like a fine wine. <laughs> and every other podcast about Andre, like this is probably the most discussed yeah. era of Andre. That's why we did two episodes on some like deep cuts. So please go back and, and check that out. We're very proud of those those two episodes on Andre. We go, get into 10 different territories. We could have talked about 20 territories, even though it's probably only 15 like, in, <laughs> in the continental United States. We I mean, maybe we will in a future Patreon thing if, you, if there's a territory you really want us to dig into. And this one, we're just going we, to... We just get to be fanboys. We can tell some jokes. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, relive yeah. our memories, our interactions I with these. I remember when I was eight. Yeah, like, <laughs> these, these are going to be these are gonna be some fun memories down memory lane. Like, this is, this is going to be a fun one to do, but, you know, uh, we will put this out there that a lot of this is discussed by a lot of different people in a multitude of different interviews and stuff like that. But if you're looking for Andre, the deep cuts... Andre after dark. If you really care, you know Andre. Uh, that giant is crazy. Album. It's the last two, and you'll definitely get that joke at the end of part two. So, 
All right, so let's start with one of Andre's earliest WWF feuds, Big John Studd. Now, in 83, Andre had a still cage match in the WWF with Big John Studd, but soon after, Andre would head back out on the road for his regular trip around the territories, so it never really went anywhere. But in 1985, during WWF's build-up to the first ever WrestleMania, Andre and Big John Studd would meet again. Yeah, and you always hear the stories about Andre hating Big John Studd, you know, because, you know, he didn't like other giants. And I'm sure John Studd kind of had a a chip on his shoulder, you know, because he he also did a little bit of a loop around some places. Like, he was big in St. Louis, and they treated him kind of the way they treated Andre Hmm. in the Battle Royals and I think even some of the handicap matches. So So I'm sure through the grapevine, he definitely heard that thing. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure Andre could probably say, like, oh... Uh-huh. You you're doing it before I get back into the territory, so you're taking away my thunder. So I I can imagine that's a little bit where the hatred came for for, and also to a, from what I've heard about John Studd, I'm sure he probably didn't endear himself to Andre as well. Of all the doing research and finding deep cuts on stuff, there was I, di- I didn't get into it, but there was somebody had compiled the entire Andre John Studd feud into like four discs. I don't know if it's actual commercial thing or just some nerd out there that's just working his ass off. But uh, yeah, there's a four DVD just entire Stud and Andre feud out there if you can find it. I didn't get to watch it, but it's it's comprehensive as crap. Well, uh, Jake the Snake also said that Stud once called Andre a circus freak, which, not only a dick thing to say, uh, Andre was very old school, and the smallest sign of disrespect to someone who came before you in wrestling, he'd, he'd write you right off. Yep. So, also, why would you... John Stud's also enormous. Why would you call Andre a circus freak? He's like, I don't know. Well, that's the thing, too, is... There's not a lot about John Studd. Like, there's way more about Andre, obviously. Yeah. But every time John Studd's name gets brought up in any interview, any podcast, they're always like, oh, Andre hated him. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, the yeah. only thing that let's, you can let's say. Let's talk about this other guy now. They, they don't say yeah. anything about John Studd, any other feuds, or anything else he ever does. Anytime John Studd's name gets brought up, people are like, oh, Andre hated him. <laughs> it's just like, he stepped over the top rope, he fucked up. Yeah. That's that's like John Studd's claim to fame, is Andre the Giant hated him. King Kong Bundy kind of said that Studd looked up to Andre and would like, you know, be really nice to him in the locker room, like, hey boss, you know, do you need anything, yeah. you know, type of a thing. But Andre just didn't like him. And if Andre didn't like you, you were fucked. I mean, he was. Andre could just put it out there. He could be a bit of a dick at times. And if he was a dick, he was a hardcore dick all the way. And it was hard to get back in his good graces. And Andre used to beat the hell out of John Stutt during their matches. Uh, They had a lot of matches leading up to WrestleMania. Uh, Singles, a lot of tag matches with Ken Patera, who was a fellow Heenan family member, teaming up with Stutt. And Andre just plucking a random good guy out of the back. When you said Patera, you said fell. And I thought you were going to say felon. (laughs) (laughs) If you know anything about Patera, I totally went there. (laughs) I thought that's where we were going. Never mind. (laughs) So it was around this time when the Andre had never been slammed angle started being talked about. If you listen to part one or two, or if you know anything about Andre, you know he was slammed. He was not only slammed around the country, but around the world, and even in WWWF. 
even in the specific ring <laughs> at WrestleMania yep. in the exact same building, he was slammed by a Hulk Hogan, which is footage you we have all seen in this room <laughs> and everybody else has seen. But they're like, oh, yeah, Andre never slammed in this building, in this ring for this promotion for a Vince McMahon of any kind. For wrestling nerd stuff, there's a dude who does really good. I think he updates the YouTube video constantly. Oh, yeah, I've seen this. It's yeah. every, uh, every person that there's footage of that has body slammed Andre. It's like a 12-minute video, I think. And it is comp- comprehensive as hell. Um, I've said comprehensive twice in the past three minutes. That's weird. Um, he's always working on it. Kudos to him. I can't remember his name, but that video rules. As part of the Big John Stud feud... The 6'10", 400-pound stud would also claim he'd never been slammed. Again, stepping on Andre's gimmick. So they'd face each other at WrestleMania in a body slam challenge, March 31st, 1985, at Madison Square Garden, and Big John Stud put up $15,000 against Andre's career. And it's kind of a slow match. Uh, definitely not one of my favorite Andre matches. But Andre eventually slammed John Studd to get the $15,000. And after he's tossing the money out into the crowd and Studd's manager, Bobby Heenan, runs in, steals the bag, and it's just good classic Bobby. Which was <laughs> thankful to the promotion because they put actual money in there because yeah. we don't want the marks to think that we yeah. don't have the money in there. And Andre was instructed to take out one handful and throw in the crowd. He did like three, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. He decided, he said, fuck it, it's not my money. And he proceeded to start throwing it, but he was supposed to put in one handful. Wow, I didn't know that. And I also think it was either Bobby was late on the queue or something going on, but he was supposed to have one handful and Andre grabbed multiple. So. You're not going to grab it, I'm just going to keep throwing it. <laughs> those are big handfuls of money. Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, what, three normal handfuls of money. <laughs> uh, those moments, I'm also like, when you see the athleticism of Bobby the Brain Heenan sometimes, where he's just kind of chugging around, but then he, when he grabbed that and ran out of the ring or he pops over the rope sometimes when he's fleeing someone, he's an athletic yeah, Bobby dude. going over the top yeah. rope sometimes is Oh my amazing. gosh, he's like, uh, yeah. After Mania, they would kind of keep working together until Andre's yearly trip over to New Japan. So in late 85, he did a ton of matches at house shows with King Kong Bundy, as well as John Studd, and they pretty much kept that going right up to WrestleMania 2. As part of WrestleMania 2 on April 7th, 86, Andre was in a 20-man battle royal which featured NFL players and wrestlers, 5,612 pounds of human beings. The fridge. And you had Andre the Giant, I believe, in yellow trunks. Mm -hmm. He was wearing yellow trunks. I actually watched that earlier today. You are 100% correct. Yes, uh, (laughs) that's what I always remember about that. Andre (laughs) in yellow yellow trunks. Also, always looked odd. He looks so kind and nice, like he's on a children's show. (laughs) He's in yellow trunks. Like, here's the big kind beast. Hello, children. (laughs) I mean, I've seen him in blue trunks, black trunks, black Tarzan singlet, red trunks, but just those yellow trunks. Trunks always looks so odd for him. He just he's just got done stripping, and now he's gonna do some wrestling. Uh-huh. Also in yellow trunks and bleach blonde hair in this match, Dan Spivey looking like Hulk Hogan. Also, you had Bruno San Martino, John Studd, yeah. Hart Foundation, the Refrigerator, yeah. William Perry, who was awesome in this match, except for his weird kind of botched elimination. After getting tossed out, the fridge shakes the hand of the man who eliminates him, John Studd, and pulls him over the top rope, eliminating him, which is not just a cheap shot in wrestling, but in football, it's a holding penalty. (laughs) 
thank you for setting this record straight no matter what. <laughs> so uh, the match comes down to Andre, Brett, and Jim Nyhart, and Andre wins. And that is WrestleMania too. But <laughs> that, that was all that happened. <laughs> but, 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 but also too, like it, it's it's fun that it comes down to Brett because Brett has memories of a child meeting Andre the Giant ah. when Andre uh, would come in for his father at Stampede Wrestling. Yeah. So imagine being Brett Hart, and here you are at WrestleMania <laughs> yeah, two. And you're in the ring with Andre the Giant. Like, that's got... It's the main event of the Chicago leg, if I'm not mistaken, of WrestleMania 2. So, like, that's got to be cool for Brett. Like, man, like, here I am in the WWF, and I'm I'm against Andre the Giant, a guy that I thought I never would wrestle before ever. You'd come into my dad's territory. So that's got to be a cool moment for Brett. I like the end, too, where it's, uh, you know, basically Neidhart and Brett versus uh, Andre. So we got... The handicap match and the battle royal combined yeah. at the very end. So we get all the Andre goodness in one little package. At WrestleMania 2, we're starting to see a different Andre the Giant. Like, the man is hurt. You can see the business and his acromegaly starting to catch up to him. So after Mania, again, left for Japan. And Andre had the back surgery that would leave him in a back brace for the rest of his career. So the way they wrote... Andre off of TV for his Japan trip and his surgery was saying he no-showed a match, so he got suspended. So, Andre would come back as the giant machine wrestling tag matches with his partner's super machine, giant machine, who you obviously knew who they were. Yeah, you uh, you obviously know that, like, it's so funny, that the giant machine, like, who else could that be? Because... <laughs> It was just Andre in a black Tarzan singlet, which he was wearing before, and they're like, oh, this is Giant Machine, <laughs> as if we don't know that that's Andre the Giant. And they're all in earnest, like, we don't know who's underneath the mask as Giant Machine. A new tag team from Japan. It's like that thing when your dad wraps the baseball bat for Christmas, and he wraps the <laughs> entire baseball bat, and it's like... That is a present that is looking like a baseball bat wrapped in Christmas paper. I think I know what the hell it's yeah, inside. It's exactly like that because you couldn't really tell, you know, who Super Machine was, which I believe it went Super Machine was Bill Eady, not Superstar. Oh. So, I mean, you could guess because all he did was just have a different mask on <laughs> you know, from Mass Superstar. And then Big Machine might be a little tougher, but that was Blackjack Mulligan. Hmm. So here it is, is Andre's three friends. They could do six-man tags, so obviously he's hurting physically, so so Bill Eady can do a lot of the work, Blackjack can do a lot of the work, and Andre can just be on the apron, tag in, do some giant stuff, and go back out. And people are like, who was that giant in a mask? And that was just the, the, the funny thing. They, they, I think they build them from the Orient. There's actually a, an old WWF poster with all three of the machines like in front of this this Asian Japanese temple, like in a garden, like trying to sell, like oh these guys are from the Orient, yeah. <laughs> like like they they really committed to the fact. No, these guys are from the Orient. Wow. This is definitely not Andre the Giant. This is definitely not Blackjack Mulligan. This is definitely not Master Superstar wearing a different hood. Like that's it's just so funny because it was so ridiculous on how they sold it and. Even the heel commentators not not even calling it out. So you know? it was sold without the slightest bit of irony. Like I think it was there was a tinge of it in okay. there with the existence of it. Yeah. But everybody were like, Who is this? Who could it be? You know who it is. Yeah. And like there was no, I know I don't who it is. Who could who could be I under that know. mask? You know, like 
just it was sold in such a way a little comical in, yeah. in a sense and i think there was even ma- magazine articles that kind of like in the after mags that kind of push forward like we don't know who this new giant <laughs> there's could like be. a list of who else it could yeah be. <laughs> it, was, it was like one of those things that like this is a mysterious somebody somebody as big as this we haven't seen in the wwf since such and such date, which was the last date that Andre the Giant yeah, was there. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was almost like that inside, that goofy, and just that over the top. Oh my gosh. So after that whole angle, uh, Andre again took a little bit of time off to deal with his health and also to film The Princess Bride. Andre had done some acting. He made his acting debut in 76 as Bigfoot in The Six Million Dollar Man. That episode has an 8.1 in IMDb. And he threw an entire bear five miles across the forest. <laughs> As a movie dude, just Andre, knowing who Andre is, the size and everything, I was just blown away how little movie stuff he got. He got some TV stuff, but just like directors back then, I figured would have been jumping all over him for action movies specifically, any big blockbuster thing. I just, I didn't understand why he wasn't in any or more than he was. And I just want to go down a list of uh, things that I think he should have been in. You guys can throw your own in. Okay. Okay. In Enter the Dragon, the Bruce Lee uh, masterpiece, he obviously should have been uh, the French Alps entrance who come in and maybe fights John Saxon. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, he should have been a patient in that. Should have been chief. No, see, I thought about that. He can't be chief. He just he's uh, he's someone else. But then he gets pissed at Chief because Chief is as big as him. And then they get in a fight and he gets thrown off set. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Apocalypse Now. He should be Marlon Brando's like number one bodyguard in the forest. Um, should he do a shitload of drugs like Dennis Hopper though? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and would Brando still hate his appearance and throw bananas at him? <laughs> um. He could have been Forrest Gump. I just kept running. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Life is like 15 boxes of chocolates. Uh, going on to get away from this, um, he should be, uh, in Halloween, he could have been the shape. Not, uh, damn it, whoever, uh, the actor who was the shape, Michael Myers is the shape. Uh, can you imagine Andre the giant silhouette instead of the other dudes in Halloween? Oh, my God. Um, Animal House, he should have been a crazy drunk frat dude who drinks 123 beers. <laughs> and then he beats Belushi, destroys him. Uh, Superman the movie, he could have easily been a Lex Luthor henchman. I mean, that's easy stuff. A villain in a Dirty Harry movie, there was 15 of them. Um, Deliverance, he could have been a giant hillbilly. Um, Saturday <laughs> Night... We like a pig. <laughs> Saturday Night Fever, he could have been a bouncer. That's easy. It's like, some of this casting, like, come on, get your shit together. Oh, uh, you, could, you could have definitely put him at, like, the end of a bar yeah, at some God. movie. Yeah. And somebody, like, ah, I can't, you know, they fuck up somebody's car. I'm like, whose car is it? And then he stands Yeah, up. yeah. So all he's got to do is sit at a bar and then stand and then at one point. And he pops up above everyone else. And that's all you got to do. That's Easy. like, I just don't understand why he wasn't in more stuff. Because nowadays, if anyone has any just iota of, like, oh, we can turn them into a star, they're in... Tons of straight-to-video stuff. Now, it's obviously different back then, but I just don't understand why no many people capitalized on his presence. All right, now, we'll finish it up. He could have been a really huge sad guy in a Bergman movie. That's that's my foreign uh, movie pretentious bullshit. 
The last one's he was in. A, he should be in a John Waters movie. This is the one where I actually wrote a premise. He plays brother and sister with Divine. They team up to murder the winner of the Miss America contest every year, so no one enters eventually. So then Vine, Divine can eventually be the Miss America forever and ever. If you know John Waters movies, that would have been fucking amazing. He should have been Javert and Les Mes. Wow. Because <laughs> he's French. Uh, that's, yeah. that's the connection. You should have said Jerry Lewis. It should have been in the French connection. Oh, yeah. That's good. All right. Do, so, your, do a Jerry Lewis Andre the Giant. I don't even Hey, lady. Hey, wow, you're back. Ah, wow, choke me. Ah. <laughs> I'll never let go, Jack. <laughs> For the love of God, in the bit. I'm sorry I fucking started it. <laughs> so some of the stuff he was in, uh, Zorro, the greatest American hero, the fall guy, BJ and the bear. He also was in <laughs> Did movies. he throw a bear in that one? <laughs> yeah. He was also in movies like Conan the Destroyer, Mickey and Maude, and Trading Mom, which came out after his death. But his favorite role, the one he's most remembered and most proud of was as Fezzik's 1987 classic, The Princess Bride. Woo! That is one of the earliest movies I remember seeing in the theater, not to get all nostalgic, but my mom smuggled in popcorn in little plastic <laughs> Ziploc bags. And I, when I look back at the age, I was like, oh my God, I think I was only five when I did that. So yeah, Andre is an early, early hold on me. And Andre was so proud of that role that there are stories of when he would go over to Japan, you know, much later in his career, obviously, like after it came out on VHS, he would keep a, a copy of The Princess Bride on VHS <laughs> in his bag. And when they would go on these these tours in Japan, they'd obviously have a bus and they'd have a you know VCR in there or the TV. He'd always tell them to put on The Princess Bride whenever they'd be on the tour bus in Japan because he loved it so much. He's like, oh, that's put a, me on. Uh, yeah, like that's he, awesome. He, but he always had a VHS copy of The Princess Bride. Hey. That and a deck of cards. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a VHS copy of The Princess Bride in your pocket, or are you just happy to see it? <laughs> oh, don't short, short sheet him on that. I bet his dick was yeah. way bigger than a VHS tape. Uh, you know, way bigger. You know, that's a 35 millimeter print of Princess Bride <laughs> of my pants. This is a laser disc. <laughs> Stacked on top of a laser disc, on top of a laser disc, a laser disc, and a hundred more times. <laughs> that, that was a weird sidebar. Uh, no, that old thing. That's good. So Andre returned to pro wrestling and WWF in January of 83 for an awards ceremony on Piper's Pit. Now Hulk Hogan was receiving a huge trophy for his title run hitting the three-year mark. Now when Hogan's best friend, as Piper said, made a special surprise appearance. And the crowd pops, Andre waves, and then Andre gets a little serious and says, Three years to be a champion. It's a long time. He then shakes Hogan's hand, who sold it like it really, really hurt. Uh, Andre walks to the back. Hogan gets his trophy, and he's back to being cheerful and happy. The next week, Andre gets a smaller trophy for being the only undefeated wrestler in WWF history. And this is when people are starting to bring up that Andre had been undefeated for 15 years. During the ceremony, before Andre could even talk, a very excited Hulk Hogan runs out uh, and starts praising Andre on the mic. And in the middle of his speech, Andre sits down his trophy, walks to the back, and Hulk tries to sell it like, oh, he's so humble, brother. Now, since 84, Hogan had been riding his wave of fame uh, with Rocky, a long title run, being on the cover of Sports Illustrated. 
Uh, he was a megastar. He was the face of pro wrestling. And face versus face had never really worked in mainstream wrestling. So they had to turn someone and Andre agreed to do it. Although being hill was not something Andre really liked to do. Andre loved to roll into town, get cheered by the fans. Andre was a good guy. He was kind-hearted. He was smiley. And it was already hard enough for him to fit in without fans throwing trash at him because mm-hmm. he bullied Hulk Hogan. So on an earlier Piper's Pit, there had been a pissing contest between Piper and Jesse Ventura about who was right and wrong in the tension between Hogan and Andre. And a talk between Andre and Hogan was scheduled for a Piper's Pit that aired February 7th of 87, and Piper introduced Hogan first, followed by Andre being introduced by Hill, Jesse Ventura. And Andre walked out, but he was accompanied by the devil himself, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Yeah, the weasel. And, and just the moment when he walks out and like, what are you doing with him, brother? What are you doing with him, brother? Like, <laughs> so like, it's 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 so amazing. Just the the minorest of things. Yeah, it, it just goes a long way. The idea, like, oh, he's w- with Bobby Heenan. The fact he's walking out with him, and just the the reaction, like, what, what are you doing with him? This obvious. So obviously, in the crowd, in, everyone knows what that means. Everyone knows exactly what that means, and that's the beauty of professional wrestling when it just syncs up in a moment and everybody knows exactly what this is and know this is about and we're all on the same page like ooh this is big <laughs> yeah there was like in Wrestlemania coming up soon <laughs> yeah so after Hogan freaks out Bobby gets on the mic and I'm gonna say he shoots a little on Hulk and about how Hulk just wants the spotlight and he used Andre Hulk then pleads with Andre. He puts his hands on Andre's mafia boss suit, which Andre speaks for the first time and says, Take your hands off my shoulders. Hulk backs up and he's, you know, he looks in disbelief. Andre raises him up by his face and says, Look at me when I'm talking to you. <laughs> it's so good. It's and so good. Then he challenges Hulk for his title. As Hulk is in shock, Bobby delivers, If you can't believe that, maybe you'll believe this, Hogan. And Andre rips off his t-shirt and his crucifix. And when the necklace comes off, it scratches Hogan's chest, causing him to bleed. And Jesus wept. And so did I. And and then Piper just jumps on. He knows a moment when it's good. And he reaches down and he rubs him. And he's like, you're bleeding, bleeding, man. You're you're bleeding. And that's just the beauty of, like, having such pros. On the microphone, you have Bobby Heenan doing his job. And you have Hulk doing his job. And just the, the, the fact that Piper... Knowing when to jump in right yeah, there and, and call that out and, and make it an even bigger deal. It just goes to show, like, you couldn't have done that segment. Like, you could have just done a regular interview segment with, with Mean Gene Oakley. You needed somebody to the level of Piper, somebody who was going to see that nuance, call it out, and make it a bigger deal. And that's that's the beauty of professional wrestling. When you take something small and you make it something big and... Everyone involved in that segment, from Jesse Ventura to Bobby Heenan to Andre to Hulk to Piper, knew that. And they had all these little small nuggets that they all zoomed out into these big, bigger deals to make this the attraction that it became, which was WrestleMania 3. And I've seen that clip a hundred times in its entirety and the emotion of it still it's gets me still, like, yeah man it really hits aside from the i'm sorry i love you and then hbk kicking flair <laughs> this is the most emotional thing 
I've ever seen in pro wrestling. Just the, they all fucking crushed it. And there's a the little Easter egg which Hogan has talked about how he wanted to really cry during yeah. the moment. And uh, when he's going down and getting his shirt ripped, you can see him. He has some Vicks Vapor Rub, I think. On his finger. Yeah, yeah Vicks Vapor Rub on his finger, and he wipes it. You can see him touch, and it was supposed to make him tear up and cry. But you can you can see the moment. But he said that he didn't even need it because yeah, just being yeah, yeah. so he in the scene up. at the moment like was so emotional that he... he <laughs> That's he when did. Hogan realized what acting was. Like, oh, <laughs> shit, this really could happen, and you get in a moment. Oh, my God. Oh, I can get in a moment and no holds barred, and I might need to cry. <laughs> Hogan was like, method acting. Oh, shit. So weeks later, a very, very sad Hulk Hogan comes out to Piper's pit, still carrying in his torn Hulk Hogan shirt, which is fucking <laughs> heartbreaking. Or weird. I think weird is the... <laughs> Listen, it's like a sack kid with his blankie. I found uh, another digging deep wrestling torrent nerd stuff. Somebody has compiled the entire buildup to Hogan and uh, Andre at WrestleMania 3. It goes all the way from the beginning to... Jack Tunney reinstating Andre the Giant in London and having an interview and Jesse the Ventura thinking he's Edward R. Murrow digging to the bottom of all this stuff and what happened in the reinstatement with Bobby Heenan. Which is a precursor to where he ended up. <laughs> I don't buy it. We're going to get to the bottom of 9-11. What happened in that room with those mysterious secret men? Your government is working against you. The Illuminati have come together. What is with this sat satellite? <laughs> and, uh, but just... I don't know who did it. Uh, it's out there. It's another one if you want to dig deep. But it's the entire build-up to the match. And it's just every promo, every little thing. And it, it, it's so well done and researched and put together. Cheers to you, nerd, whoever you are. On the Piper's Pit, where Hogan walks out with his torn shirt, this is where Piper asks Hogan if he accepts Andre's challenge. And you get the, yes! <laughs> and the fans just blow the roof off the yeah, place. It's so do. good. They have one of the great contract signings of all time with Hulk. <laughs> sign it if you're going to sign it. By the way, if you're mad that I was breathing in the microphone, I was not. I was against the wall <laughs> do, doing my best Hulk Hogan, just breathing with making my mustache flur up in the sky and back down again. Uh, after after they sign and Andre hits them with that, oh, it's just it's so good. Uh, Hogan's got a good line. He's like, as far as I'm concerned, brother, it's not not signed in ink it's signed in blood <laughs> so at wrestlemania 3 on march 29th 1987 at the pontiac silverdome brother the irresistible force met the immovable object so wrestlemania 3 drew isn't it the unstoppable force no yeah it's uh, I, I was watching the match earlier gorilla says is irresistible oh yeah that's right he and says that, that's, and, that's what the big this yeah, big gaff is yeah right. I was, uh, the english major dickhead in me was again like i think it's actually unstoppable <laughs> force but you, you you say that and i was actually like well maybe i mean irresistible still kind of works but yeah I had the okay same so, so so nick was doing his best gorilla don't, monsoon don't impersonation don't you set hair and sass was, mouth gorilla monsoon <laughs> god damn it <laughs> <laughs> Nick was straight up quoting. All right. All right. Continue, so, Gino. <laughs> so WrestleMania 3 drew 93,173 people, an indoor attendance record that stood until the first ever WrestleMania I went to with Jake in 2016, which drew 101,763 people. You want to talk about more things I'm not included in? <laughs> Unlike... Hogan and Andre who put asses in seats Wrestlemania 34 drew that because of like the self-sustaining monster Wrestlemania has become and not for the main event so it's very impressive that these two dudes this feud drew 93,000 people 
No social media, no internet. Yeah. Just, just TV and radio and just grapevine. Through the grapevine, people talking to people, magazines. I don't even want to think about the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, I just, I just, I, I think I saw a picture of cars going to the Silverdome that day. I'm like, I don't even want to think about being talent. Because, <laughs> like, back in those days, like, guys would probably show up. It wasn't like, WrestleMania, you showed up like a week in advance to the town and you had special buses to lead you over. No, 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 no. Like, you're a talent. You were somewhere the night before and you're getting there two or three hours before the show happens and just trying to deal with traffic on the way to the building. I nightmares are happening it's like, right if now. anybody out there worked parking for that event oh please, god bless you please send us a tweet or a message of how many uh what the experience we'll, was like we'll get you an edible arrangement or something <laughs> you deserve a badge of fucking honor so andre and bobby rode out on one of those sweet ass ring scooters and if I'm ever a millionaire, that's just how I'm going to get around places. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have one that's street legal, one for the house, and one that flies. <laughs> On the way to the ring, the fans in attendance booed the shit out of Andre. They threw trash at him, which made me feel sad knowing how much Andre hated to be a hill. <laughs> He's really sad. And that's a bad day at work. Even garbage men don't get trash thrown at them, you know? <laughs> it's nicely placed near yeah. them. Then Hulk walks out to the ring to... I would say the biggest pop in wrestling history. Do you? Can you think of anything? Oh, I know Austin has some that are up there. There, there's one story. I think of a, a Toronto show where somebody said that right before Hulk's music, they could feel like a vacuum of people going. Just kidding. <laughs> before Jesus. his music hits. Yeah. I, I think that's got to be up there. I mean, that's a ridiculous story, but Hulk wasn't telling it, so I would probably believe it more. Uh, but I but I heard somebody talk about like Hulk was so over that that right before there was a moment right before his music hit, I think in Toronto or Montreal or someplace like that, where you could hear the whole building go, and it was like there that meant so many people that it was like a vacuum that was created. a collective inhale of twenty thousand people. Yeah, like that. That to me is more impressive than the fucking bananas reaction but the fact of that anticipation for you to come out like that's huge so you guys have seen the match there's the attempted body slam which hogan falls back on and arguably andre gets a three count that was very i I don't think it's arguable he gets his shoulder up yeah all right they get they they make it sound like it's a big because the point of view of the ref he clearly got his shoulder up but as we said before i believe in episode part one of this Andre thing that was like a finish they did yeah. um, in some of the earlier Madison Square Garden matches where Hulk would body slam Andre then he'd go for a second then Andre would fall on top of him one two three and that was the finish so, so for the old cool old school smart marks in the ring they're like oh shit yeah. <laughs> but then when like Hulk actually body slams they're like ah he's done it better before yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, there's the infamous bear hug spot that took 90% of the match. Yeah. Uh, I would really like to edit Linger by the Cranberries over it, <laughs> like a middle school dance. There is uh, the attempted pile driver, unexposed concrete, which is a huge hill move, and it would yeah. have killed both of them, probably. <laughs> um, and then we all know Holt gets back in the ring, the slam heard around the world, the leg drop, the one, two, three. Or Andre's call of slam! Yeah. Well, and don't believe a fucking word Hulk Hogan has to say about this. <laughs> yeah. I, That's what I learned the most. I, After watching that HBO documentary, I did a whole podcast about that. That was a complete indictment about Hulk Hogan. Just don't fucking listen to a 
goddamn fucking word he says. So I didn't know if it was going to happen, brother. Fuck I didn't know. Off. Am I going over? He's like, don't fuck worry. Don't worry. Fuck <laughs> off. Fuck off that you wrote it weeks in advance and then handed it to Andre. And fuck. Fuck off. <laughs> don't be Hulk. Just be Terry and talk to me like a fucking human being. Like, just, yeah. Just, <laughs> he's, he's, he contradicts himself in the fucking HBO documentary about this match. He contradicts himself. I just, I, I got no love for somebody that, like, the story was always great on its own. Yeah. What are you uh, doing lying? You got, you got to build up the big. I, I just want you to know that all this Hogan hate speech is getting edited out. <laughs> uh, don't worry. I've got multiple podcasts. <laughs> like I said, I have a problem every time in front of a microphone that I feel like I have to shit. No, I feel like it should stay in. I don't know what it is. This should be in. So I wanted to bring this point up that if you need context for how important and how much bigger than wrestling Andre the Giant was, Hogan had been a household name at this point. He had been world champion for three years in movies and magazines. But this is the match where Andre passes the torch. Yeah. It's everything you dream of in professional, not just professional wrestling, but as a promoter. Yeah. Finding somebody, this type of matchup of, you know, somebody that you said undefeated for 15 years, whether that's true or fake or whatever. But the fact that you have this, this person regarded, you know, as we said, and also known nationally, I mean, known just as much as Hulk Hogan is nationally and you're going national yourself and you're taking the two biggest stars and you're putting them against each other and fighting each other. And also there is the, the thought process of, we don't really know for sure who's going to win. You know, there's all the stories like, oh, was Andre going to do it? But no, like as a fan, no. you could le- legitimately say, oh, you're going to put the belt on Andre for a while and all this. But then this idea like, well, if Hulk wins, this is going to be the thing that puts him over the top. Yeah. And, I, and I've even heard stories of like other wrestlers when they heard this match was booked. They're like, oh, they're going to put the belt on Andre for a yeah. while. That was just the logical thing. They're just going to put the belt on Andre for a while and let him have a run. Let with Andre, it. And like then Hogan let, chase. Let Hogan chase. And that's the thing. But the fact that, you know, Hulk beat him in such a large venue in front of such a large crowd, it is for sure the thing that puts him over the top. The compilation thing that I talked about where they had every little step to the buildup, watching some of those promos and the way they sold it and the way Hogan kind of sold Andre as the true monster, I really got that feel more. It was like, oh, if I was a fan and I was 10, 12, whatever years old i mean you're really like i don't know i don't yeah. like it wouldn't it wouldn't a slam dunk on hogan man and, that, and that's the perfect thing you want people to not really know how this is going to turn yeah. out yeah. and that's how you get people to pay money to go see something is when they don't know how this is going to turn out that's how you get genuine reactions from pro wrestling especially today you know like uh when you you know roman reigns is going to win you know brock lesnar is going to win and you just watch it and roll your eyes or whatever but that sense of not knowing like punk versus cena at uh money in the bank where you're like oh fuck punk won you know you get that genuine excitement yeah because you're the moment of like surely they're not going to do this yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) surely they're they're oh my gosh i think they're doing this yeah yeah. oh i think they're doing this they just did it like that's that's what you want out of a crowd and that's this is textbook that totally so not to sound like something to wrestle with but dave Meltzer gave this match four stars chat me up here where does this match rank to you guys in all-time matches keeping in mind that anything less than the greatest achievement by the human race is incorrect oh uh like kabashi masawa 12097 this is number one then that's number 50 with just there's nothing else close (laughs) 
I gotta feel like this is the most important match in professional wrestling history. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really? I don't. When you phrase it that way, yeah. I can't think of anything else that's as important. I mean, to put Hulk Hogan on the map like this, because like Hulk's gonna go on and have a couple more years of a run right, at, at being the hottest ever. Where Andre is obviously there's concerns he's gonna make it through this match, and even watching this match, you feel like, oh gosh, like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it could yeah. end right here. A couple of times, there's a couple of moments that are kind of scary to watch. Like, ooh, this might not... I mean, Andre's knee could have went out, or this could have happened, or, you know, he might not have gotten back up to be able to finish this contest and get the finish that's needed. Yeah, I, I can't think of anything that, that's more important to professional wrestling than this particular match. Um, you could probably make an argument that Shawn Michaels versus Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 14 oh, with yeah. Mike Tyson is equally as important, but it's not in front of 93,000 people. Yeah. And, you know, Stone Cold could have been in there with anybody. Yeah, you could put him in there with Bret Hart. You could put him in there with anybody as long as it's when he wins a title at WrestleMania for the first time with Mike Tyson on the outside. Mm-hmm. And nothing to take away from Shawn Michaels and the importance of what he did that night, but it's not the two biggest attractions in professional wrestling yeah. at that time i think yeah. i that's I, so, so i think it's the most important so after wrestlemania andre pretty much didn't wrestle again until several months later however this would not be the last time andre would face hurricane spencer from thunder in paradise <laughs> thank in, you for your full name in november at the first ever survivor series andre and hulk would face off as team captains so at this point as far as pay-per-views, WWF had WrestleMania 1 and 2, this WrestleVision Classic 85, and WWF Big Event 86. But then WrestleMania 3 happened, and I assume the people in the suits were like, oh shit, we can make money. <laughs> oh my god. So they set up the 87 Survivor Series. Yeah, which is a whole story about how Crockett was going to be on pay-per-view, but they didn't want to... <laughs> Vince was like, fuck him! <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh, if you're going to carry them on pay-per-view, then you can't have WrestleMania. Oh, shit, we can't lose WrestleMania. Yeah. Well, can you offer us a pay-per-view? Yada, yada, yada. It, listen to something to wrestle with. It's all right there. Yeah. But I kind of recapped it all in 30 seconds. They did it in three. Bruce lays it out in they, they, they did it in three hours. I did it in 30 seconds. So there you go. Hulk Hogan would wear this impractical-ass tassels-in-his-eyes headband as he led the team of him, Kim Patera, Paul Orndorff, Don Morocco, and Tim Bell Pod's first-ever episode, Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, they'd face off against Andre, King Kong Bundy, One More Man Gang, and Butch Reed. That is a big-ass team. That's huge. Uh, and then Andre would go on to be the sole survivor of the first-ever Survivor Series. Pinning Bam Bam Bigelow. Mm-hmm. And Hulk still posed at the end of the night. So, but they were just trying to get one more Hulk and Andre. My, my, Typical pro wrestling. Yeah. This is the biggest thing ever. Let's milk no, it till try. But I mean, it makes sense. It's like any good movie franchise. Sequel it up. Let's sequel the shit out of it. Let's sequel, sequel. At the first Saturday night's main event of 88, Andre would get his chance at a little payback on Hogan. Uh, Andre would be in King Kong Bundy's corner as he faced Hogan, who had three... Three promos in a one-hour show. <laughs> Talk about milking it dry, you know? And here's a fun game to play. I, not only during this episode of Saturday Night's Main Event, but throughout the whole Hulk-Andre feud, every time Hulk... <laughs> you okay, Nick? Every time Hulk said, Big Mean Nasty Giant, I'd say cock. 
<laughs> I can't wait to get my hands on that big, mean, nasty, giant cock. Yeah. I was just sitting at home having a grand old time. It was... That was your equivalent to oh, the, 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 the middle schooler going, in bed. Yeah, yeah, it was so... I had the, had the most fun. So uh, Hulk and Bundy have their match. Uh, Bundy's dominating. Hulk hulks up. He wins. You guys get late 80s wrestling. Yeah, I um, guess. After the match, they tease a little showdown between Hulk and Andre, but Andre backs out. Hulk turns his back and starts flexing. Andre gets in the ring and grabs Hulk by each side of his hair, which I thought was fucked up in his ball. All right, and uh, then that big, mean, nasty, giant cock chokes the shit out of Hulk Hogan. <laughs> See how fun it is? It's yeah, so but it would have been better if oh, you wouldn't have so laughed. Good. You just blazed through it. Andre chokes the shit out of Hulk. Eventually, several faces uh, run out to try to get Andre off Hulk. We get an appearance from Dynamite Kid and British Bulldog. Andre knocks them off. Junkyard Dog, Jake the Snake, Rick Martel, Cheeto Shantana uh, run out, and Andre's no-selling them. And then Hacksaw runs out and gives Andre the most gentle little tap with a 2 by 4 I'm right here, boss. Yeah. I'm right here. I'm right here. Uh, uh, Andre turns around to focus on Hacksaw. I assume to scream at him, quit exposing the business with that weak ass. <laughs> He's like, Splinter! Splinter! Uh, so, yeah, quit exposing the business and quit riding with the Iron Sheik. Can you fucking do those, those two things for me? Finally, after several altercations with Hulk, Andre stands tall. He gets a little... Payback know. is the word yeah, you're looking for? Payback. There you go. Big so another story so going on along, uh, around this time was that the million dollar man Ted DiBiase was trying to buy the belt of Hulk Hogan after failing to win it. Since Hogan wasn't paying alimony yet, he would not sell the championship. So DiBiase turned to the man that hated Hulk, Andre the Giant. And at the main event on February 5th, live on NBC, yeah. Andre the Giant with the million dollar man and Virgil uh, would face Hulk Hogan once again for the WWF World Heavyweight championship and boy this is not a good match <laughs> sucks to say at this point but andre just flat out couldn't go anymore during the match he does the choke spot again which is a good callback hulk actually has andre down for a three count but virgil had the ref distracted and then this is the earl hebner dave hebner twin thing which allows andre to get a win and win his first ever championship Yay, Andre! Which is, which is amazing. Like, it's just such a great angle. And like I said, there's a fantastic podcast about this whole thing. Uh, but yeah, it drew a huge rating. It's surprising me didn't get a lot more of these main events. But yeah, it, it's a great... It's also... It's a real cool moment. Andre gets to have the belt on his shoulder. But then he hands it over to Ted DiBiase. And just... If, if anything, I think it more so gets over Ted DiBiase. Yeah, totally than anything else it's gotta it it itself has got to be the biggest moment in ted's career everyone has a price (laughs) which i'm i'm sure you know andre loved to do it because it was getting over a new talent that was coming in you know like yeah sure he won a belt and i'm sure that might have meant a little something to him but the fact that he's making another star i think probably meant more to him than this being his moment where he wins a title 
Yeah. It's fun. In the post-match interview, he accidentally calls the belt the World Tag Team Championship. <laughs> like, two different times. He's like, I don't know, fucking the IWA Mid-South <laughs> TV champion. Uh, I, I won. Here you go, Ted. Like, I think my favorite moment in uh, Hogan's reaction to this was like, I must have got plastic surgery yeah, on yeah, another yeah. guy. He's like, do you understand that twins are <laughs> Hogan? He's like, no, he must have spent all this time and well, effort. I think it was the angle that they got. That <laughs> yeah, was yeah, the Million Dollar yeah. Man spent money on plastic surgery. But, but then Hogan open up with that? Like, that's what his initial thought? That was the story of the whole thing. I know, but as a human being, would your initial thing be like, it's just a twin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just your a first twin. Go-to. It's, yeah, it's just not the But that doesn't put over the million dollar man. No, the million dollar man paying off, you know, yeah. Dave Hepner's twin doesn't have as much, you know, traction as I found a man. I spent yeah. money on plastic surgery no, just, makes... just to make him look like Dave Hepner. Storyline wise, narrative, yes, but I just love how Hogan's brain in the narrative. <laughs> Yeah, works. It's just like, you spent a lot of money to change your face to, for this one moment. On. So in the end, Andre the Giant's first and only WWF title run would be one minute and 48 seconds before he handed over the belt to Ted. After giving DiBiase the belt, it was declared invalid by WWF President Jack Tunney, who declared the title vacant, so they set up a tournament as part of WrestleMania 4. During the tournament, Andre and Hulk would face each other yet again at WrestleMania in the second round, and it, again, not as good. Just trying to milk it dry. Also, too, in the tournament aspect, it's always ideal when you can give the heel a bye into the finals or into the semis, preferably into the finals, so that way the babyface has to wrestle more matches. So this works out perfect. You give Hulk and Andre... You know, Hulk and Andre three now. This is the rubber match. You make it a DQ, then that open or a double count double out DQ. or a double double DQ opens up a spot for Ted to move on to the finals. So he has all the heat going into the finals, and the focus can be on Savage. I, I think we touched on that when we did the Bam Bam Bigelow episode, and touched on Bret Hart when he beat him at King of the Ring, where Bam Bam got the bye, and Bret had to fight through all the that, people. That and, is know. wrestling one on one. If you run a tournament and you don't do that, you are fucking up that's how it's done my friend the heels always win the coin toss in the war games and the heel always gets a buy into the finals that's how it's done uh, of course macho would go on to win the title that night now andre and hogan would have a cage match at wrestlefest 88 in milwaukee um it's on youtube watch it if you want it's your life but that's kind of the end of their feud well i mean they they milked it dry you know, and it, if you want to keep putting them out there and have it lose its luster, I, I think they, I've even heard in some results, they like, they did it some house shows. I think they did a house show in Greensboro, North Carolina Ooh. at one point in time. And, but yeah, they did, they did it on the whole loop. I mean, I mean, there's nine Saw movies or eight <laughs> Saw movies. So, I mean, after WrestleMania four, Andre began working with Hacksaw Jim Duggan at house shows and they eventually made their way to some TV tapings. And even though Hacksaw was a face and WWF has always been a face company, Andre won a lot of those matches. I assume get him back a little credibility. Yeah, I I can almost assume that that's why. Andre's next major feud was against Jake the Snake Roberts. During a November of 88 Saturday night main event, Andre was wrestling Macho Man when Jake walks to the ring carrying Damien, who slips Damien under the ring. 
Bobby eventually finds the snake still in the bag underneath the ring. And when he does, Jake shoves Bobby and the snake into the ring, causing a DQ. There's a scuffle. Andre gets tied up in the ropes like he was one to do. Classic. Macho throws Bobby over the top rope. He does not land smoothly. He cracks his back right on the apron. Um <laughs> Macho invites Jake into the ring with Damien. Andre loses his shit. Bobby gets him out of the rope and runs away from the snake to set up that Andre's scared of snakes. Which Uh, it only makes sense. A giant ain't afraid of shit except for snakes. Yeah, it's the whole uh, elephant scared of the mouse deal. I don't want to murder kayfabe here, but Jake Roberts said that Andre was not scared of the snake. (laughs) man. Jake even tells a story uh, on his very short-lived podcast of Damien biting Andre on the shoulder, leaving a fang in his arm. (laughs) And Jake went to the back and he was like, Andre's gonna fucking kill me. And then Andre didn't even notice. I think it was Rick Rude who was like, hey, what's that in your arm? And he go, he pulls the fang out of his shoulder and goes, I guess he was hungry. There's <laughs> a mosquito think bit me. Which makes Andre that much more of a badass. Yeah. Like... So uh, there is the big 89 Royal Rumble spot where Andre eliminates himself after Jake pulls out Andre. <laughs> he throws it in there, yeah. And I want to I ask Jake Manning this. Let's say wrestling is a 100% shoot. All right, you're in the middle of the Royal Rumble fighting for your life. You mm-hmm. know, if you win, you're not only getting the winner's share of the gate, but you're putting the Man Scout Manning brand on the map. Mm-hmm. Someone pulls out a giant snake in the middle of the match. What do you do? I'm fucking eliminating myself. <laughs> Hands fucking down. You no, gotta fight down. This is your whole career. No, this is everything. No fucking, huh. no fucking way. No fucking way, no no chance, no way, no it how. It doesn't matter if it's poisonous or non-poisonous. God, I fucking lost my shit for a black snake that got into the high spots office. <laughs> uh, about a month ago, I just came around the corner and there's a fucking snake. I freaked the fuck out, told the other person that there's only one other person in the office. If I wasn't there to see that fucking snake, the fucking... Daniel wouldn't have fucking saw it, and that fucking snake would just be roaming around. It got all the way in the fucking knee pads, so Daniel wouldn't have fucking seen that there was a snake in the office. So somebody would have been pulling knee pads one day, found the fucking snake, and black snakes, not poisonous. Uh, fine, Jake. Th- th- fine. That's what that everybody fucking said to me, but fuck that snake. That fucking thing ruined all the fucking comfort that I fucking have in that office. Like, that that office so is my sanctuary. So now you're thinking there's just black snakes everywhere, right? Even in my fucking house. I didn't see a fucking snake in here, but I'm checking corners all the time now. And that is that was like two months ago. Like, I freaked out, left the office, said, I'm not coming back till you fucking get the snake out of here. Then the guy that was at the office, Daniel, has an oxygen tank. I left a handicapped person to take care of this fucking snake, and I refused to fucking go back until it was gone. And it's, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's just a black snake. Don't worry about it. I was like, fuck no. And basically the sanctuary, which is the high spots office, which is the place I go when the zombie apocalypse happens, has been sullied. And I can no longer feel safe in that office knowing that it can be penetrated by a fucking snake. Did you watch, like, Ricky Ticky Tabby when you were, like, four years old, Um, and they, like, scarred you forever? Or do you, you I mean, I, I, this is a real question. Like, oh, is there anything? Oh, am I supposed to naturally have a love for snakes? And just be like, <laughs> yeah, oh, but... snakes, just be all, all over top of me. It's like I'm afraid of fucking bunnies. They're fucking snakes. <laughs> yeah, okay, but I don't like, like see... snakes either, but there's nothing like, there's nothing that like traumatized you. It's a fucking snake. I mean, I don't like them either, but I'm not snarling right now. <laughs> it's a fucking snake. I mean, okay. Do you not have, like, uh, instincts to survive in the wild, my friend? We'll like... get into Jake's deep-seated snake fear in a Patreon uh, exclusive story. Or my need for survival, okay? 
All right, so the whole thing with the snake is entertaining. It's a little funny. But without disrespecting Andre or Jake, who's doing the best he could, these matches are not very good between the two. It, this is prime Andre wincing in pain, holding himself up by the ropes. But, you know, he's still showing up, and that's pretty badass. I mean, it's like they said, he just loved performing so much. He just yeah. wanted to do it. didn't matter what it was. He just wanted to perform. Their feud wraps up at WrestleMania 5 with uh, Big John Studd, who is now a face as special guest ref. Andre and Studd have some words up front because they have a history. And then, you know, Jake and Andre have a pretty slow match. Andre's doing what he physically could. And it is, it's hard to watch, man. There's, He's just beating up Jake a bunch. There, there's that spot in the corner where Andre falls for no reason. And, uh, no. you know, Andre's like struggling to pull himself up. It's, it's pretty heartbreaking. The ending of this match is nuts. Andre and Stud get into a fight. Million Dollar Man runs out trying to steal Jake's snake, <laughs> which is messed up if you think about it. Like a one percenter being like, look at this poor person. All he has in the world is this snake. I'm going to take it from him. <laughs> Andre's choking Stud. Jake wrestles away Damien from DiBiase, throws him in the ring. Andre runs the fuck out of there. Stud hits Andre with a DQ. During the next few months, he'd have a lot of house show feuds with Jake, uh, stud hillbilly jim ultimate warrior and warriors beating andre in some of these matches in like 25 seconds i assume because at this point the longest either of them could wrestle is 30 seconds probably so in late 89 andre and fellow heenan family member haku started teaming up as the colossal connection and andre in his prime versus haku fight who wins <sighs> I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm i going to have to lean towards Andre because what the fuck could you do with him? Yeah. Now, Haku is a bad man. He's supposed to be like the most badass wrestler who's ever lived. Yeah. I I think it's just like uh, when I was watching the Chuck Webner fight and it's like Chuck never threw a real punch because Andre's face, he's just right there ready to get punched on the chin. And if Andre's just really confident, he just wades in with his big old face and his big old chin. With a good punch, I don't give a shit how big you are. You do it right. I think I think Haku, if he connects correctly, he, he could knock Andre the fuck See, out. See, I don't know if Haku is known for his strike, like his knockout ability. His just his mauling ability. <laughs> yeah, I think it's more of a situation if that motherfucker got hands on you, yeah. you're done. Yeah. If he got his hands, like, I don't know if it's like, it's necessarily like, I'm going to punch you and knock you out. Like, I don't think that was necessarily Haku's yeah, mode I mean, of being a badass. Like, his mode of being a badass is you could throw as much damage at him, it won't gonna... phase him. And if he laid hands on you, you were done. Much like Andre in himself, like their strengths would match up against each other. And the fact that one's a giant, I think that's, that's where the tipping point is. Right. Well, the Colossal Connection would get a shot at the WWF Tag Team titles against Demolition on a Superstars taping December 13th of 89. And I grew up always thinking that Demolition were the Road Warriors' dads. <laughs> I mean, they kind of are if you, yeah. They would uh, go on to win the tag team championship that night, giving Andre his second WWF title. And on April Fool's Day of 1990 at WrestleMania 6, Demolition would get a rematch at the Colossal Connection. It's one of those where like, Andre's not in the match at all. Yeah, it's at like, this point, this is why I think Andre was put into a tag team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, like, who wrestles the entire match and, you know, smash and axe, just yeah. beat him up, and just Andre's, he, you know, he's like, 
come, come over here and reaching for the tags, but like he never gets in the match. Yeah, he's getting like his cheap shot from the apron. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah he never actually. Uh, but, but, but here's the thing to think about too with this: like you're putting Haku in to do all the work, and, and Andre is definitely beat up and can't perform in the ring. But here's here's the thing you got to think about. He's still making towns. Yeah. Like him just traveling. No. It's probably the, harder than matches. Yeah. Right? yeah. At least the matches, like, it's only going to go for a few minutes and he's going to do some stand things, there. stand, and just chop somebody. But him getting in a plane, getting in a car, riding to the arena, cramming into a locker room, yeah. cramming into a hotel room, like that is far harder. Like him just showing up to the towns to. Pr- to perform has to be the worst. Like, I don't know how many, you know, if he's doing house shows at this time, I would doubt it. I mean, he'd probably be strictly doing TV, but even doing that, like just the travel to make WrestleMania or make a TV taping has got to be just excruciating for him. I mean, the matches should be the easy part. And if he can't even get through the easy part, I can't imagine what it's like to get through the travel of this. Yeah, seriously. Eventually, Demolition hit Haku with a decapitation and they hooked the leg to win back their belts to a huge pop. So Andre had held the belts 109 days, which is the longest title run he ever had with any belt in any federation. After the match, Heenan flips shit on Andre, uh, eventually slaps him, which Andre responds by grabbing Heenan. And now I don't think I would have noticed this if I hadn't listened to the Bruce Pritchard's episode on it. But Andre slaps Heenan and clearly misses him. And Heenan 100% no-sold it. And that split-second decision to no-sell that obvious miss is what makes Bobby a fucking genius. (laughs) It was just... A lesser wrestler would have sold it. It would have been one of the great botches of all time. But mm-hmm. Bobby just, uh, he's so good. I love Bobby Heenan. Yeah, he's um, just hanging in there like, hit me again for real, boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, do it again. Andre saw a mosquito, got the mosquito, now it's time for Bobby. Well, and that, that's the thing, like, Andre didn't want to hurt Bobby because he liked Bobby. Yeah. He's, he's like, like, I don't, don't want to hurt you, you boss. That, and that, that's the thing that makes me believe Andre in his prime, like, doesn't know his own strength. Like, if he ever got angry and got a hold to somebody... Oof, I don't want to know. Haku would come out and try to save Heenan. Andre takes care of him, hops on his motorized ring mobile thing, and uh, just like that, for the first time since January of 87, Andre the Giant is a face, and that is more or less how he would leave the WWF. So Andre would take part in the WWF All Japan New Japan Wrestling Summit April 13th of 1990 in Tokyo, and... Jake, what do you know about the Wrestling Summit, and how does something like this even, like, come about? It's kind of a a huge thing in all of professional wrestling, because All Japan and New Japan were fierce rivals. Early in the days, Anoki and Baba were students, I believe, of Ricky Dozen, and then all of a sudden they split off and they started these two rival companies, and there was, like, a a blood feud. Like, if you jump from All Japan to New Japan... Mm -hmm. There was all kinds of implications with the Yakuza sponsors, <laughs> yeah. all kinds of like it was like it was far worse than jumping from WCW to, to WWF in the, in the 90s. Like it was, you know, a big deal. Like I remember when Stan Hansen showed up in all Japan, like people were like, oh, this is like a big deal. And, and also, too, like I said, the fear of the Japanese mafia coming after you as well. But it was like this big blood feud and they were fighting over talent. Also, too, Japan as a country is much smaller than the United States. 
So like you're fighting over a very small audience that's very profitable. So you know it was it was very heated because they're very close to each other in proximity and fighting over some of the same buildings and some of the same talent and, and all these things. And somehow Vince McMahon was able to parlay this summit and get Baba and Anoki to shake hands. And it was it's like a like a big deal like in front of the media and, and I think it was even in the ring. So this is big, amazing thing. It's really really cool thing. And also too, you get to see you know WWF wrestlers who hadn't been over to Japan since they joined the WWF, and then here they are, you know, back in Japan with their new characters. It was like this whole big deal and like really awesome pictures and kind of a very historic thing. Capped off by the fact that Andre the Giant is teaming with the giant Baba. Yep. Now, granted, this is much later in their careers, but as a thing and a name value, like, that's huge. Yeah. Like, that's a, that's a big deal. Like, the only, I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than that. And that's something they did several times. Like, giant Andre the Giant would come over, and then he would team with Giant Baba, and they kind of ran that tag team quite a bit. But it was obviously... Something you want to put on the marquee, but it was not a match that people were looking for. Mm -hmm. They just wanted to see those two men stand in the ring. And they, you know, they wrestled Demolition at the Summit, but they also, like, wrestled Doc and Gordy. They wrestled a lot of uh, Johnny Smith and Dynamite Kid, I think, even, too. So, like, they they wrestled a lot of really good Mm -hmm. guys that just bounced around for these guys and showed them the respect. But also, too, like, the fact that, that Andre is in all Japan, like I said, because of the heated rivalry and... Andre was always a New Japan guy for him to appear in All Japan was a big, big deal, too. So, um, yeah, so it was like a nice little thing, a nice little nod, a nice little tip of the cap. But obviously those matches were not really anything you'd want to see. But it it was kind of an it was an important thing in wrestling history to have happened, because if it didn't happen to be always a big what if. So it was kind of cool, kind of cool to see it happen. But. As far as the matches go, you can kind of skip them. It's just nice to read the results. There's really good selling because, like, Smash and then they sell the hell out of everything. Well, and also, they too, do. Bob is the guy that signs your check. Yeah, so yeah. you want to sell for him and then no, you want to yeah. sell for Andre. I mean, so. it, there's good lessons in selling for them, I would say. But, but it's part. funny to see, like, someone like, you know, Dr. Dusty Williams and Terry Gordy get yeah, in there yeah, who, are just, who are just murdering <laughs> yeah. Kabashi. They're just murdering all these guys. But then when they get in there with Bob, they're like taking Little, care of them. Mm. And then Andre comes in and they get take a chop or they sell it like they just got shot. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, people, people know what it is. People in the crowd knew what it was. It was just cool to see. It would have been nicer to see much, much more in both men's primes. Totally. Aside from a pet stop in Mexico, tagging with Giant Baba in All Japan is pretty much how Andre would spend the rest of his in-ring career. His last match being on December 4th of 1992. And we have to talk about, since he went to Mexico, he shit on fucking Bad News Brown. Bad News Allen. I mean, he diarrheaed on him. Yeah, because he basically (laughs) had cervezas all day, and he got got some bad Mexican food, and Andre was feeling sick walking into the match, and he he was doing the butt gimmick on on (laughs) the Bad News, and then all of a sudden he... He sharted and he just he just kept coming and he shit all over bad news and people like kind of like say oh that makes Andre the Giant a racist he had no respect for bad news but the funny thing is when bad news tells the story he laughs about it. 
He's like, Andre, seriously. He seems like the most down-to-earth, like, oh, shit, it happens. I mean, yeah. stupid-ass pun. I trust me, there's been multiple times. I just had a match this past month where I felt like I was going to shit my pants. I mean, have, it, have, you, have you shit your pants in a match, Jake? Uh, listen, fucking Donald, knock it on fucking wood. <laughs> yeah. what, what, what are you trying to do, tempt fate for me, Micah? No, you don't fucking ask that question. No, no, I jinxed it by asking it, so now you won't. Have you ever had anyone shit on you in a match or uh, opponents? Not that I know of, but I, I do know a couple people that have come to the back with some issues that's why i'm so terrified but i've been terrified i heard a story about somebody wearing a white singlet and oh, shitting God. their pants and uh, telling the guy to go home and call in the, and the way he did he's a schoolboy me which is the last <laughs> thing you want to do when you just shit your pants and ever since that day this that was like eight months into wrestling i have been terrified <laughs> that fear always crosses my uh, mind right before i got for every single match that i've had in the past 15 years it's just a fear of mine but there, we talked about it. If we didn't talk about it, no, no, somebody no, on good. Twitter would say it, somebody on Facebook. No, we talked good. about it. It's addressed. It's fucking out there. Uh, Andre is not a racist because he fucking shit his pants in the ring. There you go. That's my fucking two cents. People going that far? Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah, people, people have gone that, taken that far. God. A lot of, you, a lot of YouTube videos. Oh, so he, he's French. French people hate everyone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not, equal not opportunity hate. Mm-hmm. All right, so Andre would have a few WWF non-wrestling appearances. Uh, he'd show up on WWF Stars and Stripes Forever on USA Network, coming out to shake the hand of the Big Boss Man, pop into WrestleMania 7 again, standing with Big Boss Man against Mr. Perfect. Uh, he'd do this angle where a bunch of Hill managers were trying to sign him, and he'd turn them down in silly ways, like he shoved Slick into a truck. He smashed uh, Mr. Fuji's face into a cake. He spanked Sensational Sherry. And this was all to set up him turning down Jimmy Hart live on TV so that they could turn Earthquake on him and kind of get some heat on Earthquake. That led to Jimmy signing Typhoon, forming the Natural Disasters, and that led to Andre's final WWF appearance at SummerSlam 91, where he was in the corner of the Bushwhackers during their match against the Natural Disasters. Andre's last U.S. television appearance was a brief interview on WCW's Class of Champions 20. Uh, did you watch it? He, he says like one actually... sentence, like to like I like the WCW talent or something like. It's it like it's like generic. when a pro athlete does a car commercial. Yeah. He's like, yeah. it was it was very weird. <laughs> All right. So in January of '93, Andre's father died, so he flew to Paris to attend the funeral. He decided to stay in France a little longer to be with his mom on her birthday. Now on January 26th, he spent the night visiting old friends. On January 27th, 1993, at 9:30 a.m., his driver came to pick Andre up at his Paris hotel, but Andre didn't answer. The hotel tried his room phone a couple more times, hours apart. And when the hotel staff finally entered the room, it was discovered that Andre had died in his sleep that night, and he was only 46 years old. So Andre had had fluid drained from his heart in the 80s, and again in early 93. His cause of death was heart failure, and it was possibly due to the fluid building up around his heart so much that it couldn't pump. Now Andre had, I guess, healthy, very stoic views on death, and that he knew his condition wasn't going to allow him to see his 90s. And his thoughts on the matter were, eh, whatever. (laughs) Like, he was in constant pain. His body was failing him. And after seeing his family and friends one last time, you know, he probably just kind of let go. 
And he, he lived so much life every single day of yeah. every minute of his life. I mean, I'm sure he's had so many experiences that we'll never touch. Andre's family in France held a funeral for him. They wanted to bury him beside his father, but Andre specified in his will that he wanted cremated. So his body was flown back to the U.S. and his ashes were scattered at his ranch in Ellerby, North Carolina, the same place where years later, Lunas Fashan's ashes would be scattered. WWF gave Andre a Tim Bell salute on an episode of Raw and made him the first ever inductee to the WWF Hall of Fame in 1993. And pretty much the reason the Hall of Fame exists. Yeah. Uh, Andre was never married, although he did have a daughter with a women's wrestler, I think, in, in Washington State. And he had a daughter, Robin, who pops up in the HBO documentary. I also listened to her do a phone interview with Bill Apter. And although they didn't have, like, a close relationship growing up, Andre was in living hotel to hotel, state to state, country to country, in a pre-cell phone world. But he did leave his entire estate to her, which, you know, I guess is a way to say, you know, sorry. It's just, it's it's tough for someone like Andre, who's, I mean, he's dealing with, I mean, you're just fighting to make it to a town so you could do your job. And especially pre-cell phone era, that's gotta be, gotta be tough. You know, and so many people are counting on you and putting so much responsibility on you. Yeah, and then you're dealing with the fact of I can't. I have a hard enough time just getting out of bed and moving, and yeah. and I'm having this back surgery, and all these things are counting on you. I mean, that's a that's a hectic thing of being a pro wrestler at this time. It, it, it's tough, and you lose track of your family. That's why a lot of families didn't make it from this time period. Yeah. I don't. Final thoughts on Andre the Giant. I said most of what I wanted to say in the territory stuff. I mean, yeah, just newfound respect. It's like like I've said it before. You dig into these dudes, you really see everything from the beginning, the middle, and the end, and you get a real good story. You know what they really went through. You know the progression they made. They know all the trials and tribulations, and it's just, I mean, Andre was a great damn worker. He was a spectacle he did so much in many different ways. From a nerd standpoint, quick sidebar, now that I just looked at my notes, if anybody has any video of the pinfall losses when he was like a monster, apparently, or he lost to El Sinique in Mexico. You know, El Connect. El yeah. I'm trying too hard with my pronunciations. Inoki uh, apparently submitted him in the 70s. I watched all the matches. Nothing happened. Uh, it's all count outs and DQs. Um, rugged Ronnie Garvin in a shoot interview said he beat him in Knoxville. I mean, I know there's stuff of like the Warrior beating him in his late stage, but like anything in the 70s or early 80s of an actual loss on tape, I would kill to see just because it's just that mysterious movie or tape that just you hear about, but you don't actually get a chance to witness. So, yeah, if anybody has any leads on that, I would kill for that. What, what else can I say? Andre Andre was one of a kind, and he needs to be respected for the worker and the actual wrestler that he was in his prime because he was great. Yeah, that's the thing with doing this research. Like, I probably, much like a lot of people, like, ah, you know, Andre, he just kind of did big man stuff and whatever. But, like, digging into this and looking at some of this footage, that. That's not the case, man. Like, he he had his working boots on on multiple different occasions and a lot of the 70s. And as I've said before multiple times about Andre, I think the most impressive thing about him is the fact that 
just traveling in the seventies, making some of these towns and you know, the, some of these places were not the biggest places in the world. Just the traveling and the fact that he made some of these appearances in the places that he did. I think that's the most impressive thing. Cause I think that's the thing that people forget as wrestlers. Sometimes the toughest thing that a wrestler has to do is usually not the match. It's getting to the town and being a giant in less than ideal traveling circumstances and checking into hotels where you know a bed is smaller than what is a hospitable for a giant is got to be tough so you're not getting the sleep that you need you're always on the road you're always traveling you're always eating out so you're not eating as good as you should when you really need to be taking care of your body because you have a disease and you have to deal with it with substandard healthcare at the time and people not knowing and understanding and at the fact that people always want an autograph or people are laughing and staring and all these things and you still make it to town and you still do your job and like i said the wrestling is the easy part it's the getting there and doing all it and for him to be a giant to be able to do it in the circumstance that he did i think that's what makes him a hall of famer at the end of the day as iconic as Andre was and a, a paramount figure in pro wrestling, his story is a little sad. I remember when I watched all the George Carlin specials, you see this kid age into this old man and then die. And My- Micah kind of touched on this with the Noki matches. If you watch through the network, you see this giant just wither away from year to year from this unstoppable force to a man who had to hold Jimmy Hart's hand just to take a bump. You know, it's parts of watching his matches where it's like emotional because it's sad, you know how much pain he's in. But he's someone who loved the business. I'm sure he loved to be in the locker room around other big guys. It probably gave him a sense of normalcy. That's something he'd never see outside of a pro wrestling locker room where he was just one of the boys. And Andres is someone you always think you know so much about from watching wrestling, uh, it was fun to really put his career under a microscope and see some of the things he could do back in the day. It gave me a new respect for him. But uh, on a personal note, as a chef, uh, Mean Gene told a story at the last WrestleCon I worked at in Orlando about how much Andre loved fine dining because Andre was French and they basically invented fine dining. You know, Escoffier basically made restaurant cooking uh, the way it is. So it tickled me to think of Andre like ordering a bouffe baguette and a creme brulee, you know, just like these having like a dainty little 16 course tasting menu. I'm sure Andre was like a nightmare for kitchens. Like just <laughs> one man was like a tin top sitting down, you know, I'm sure it was very stressful. So I, I appreciate how much he loved French food. If you like what we do and you want to help us keep doing it, head over to Patreon. You can find us at Patreon, 10 Bell Pod. We are 10 Bell Pod on all the social medias or check out 10bellpod.com. And then it's Man Scout Manning on all the social medias. I just want to say that uh, Tom Hardy ripped off Andre the Giant to do Bane. <laughs> he clearly fucking did. Oh, me. Welcome the people. <laughs> Batman, blah, blah, blah. 